Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well. As we will once again be in Acts chapter 6 this morning, and we'll be finishing up Acts chapter 6 this morning as well, by looking specifically today at verses 8 through 15, or when Stephen was seized. Stephen, who we were all briefly introduced to last week, church, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, when during a time when the disciples of Jesus Christ were increasing in number, or during a time when the early church was continuing to grow and to grow and to grow, that a complaint arose within the early church. That complaint being, or coming, should I say, from the Hellenist, or from the Greek-speaking Jews, against the Hebrews or the Aramaic-speaking Jews because the Hellenist widows within the church were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, to which the apostles initially make the point then in verse 2 that it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In essence, saying here that they, the apostles of Jesus Christ, that they must prioritize in their ministry the preaching of the word of God. However, as we go on to see then in verse 3, for the apostles of Jesus Christ don't just ignore this complaint here, church, but instead, as we go on to see in verse 3, for they also then address this complaint here as well by saying, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And what the apostles of Jesus Christ said, for it pleased the whole gathering church. And thus, as we see in verse 5, for they chose then Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set these seven men before the apostles, who then prayed for them, laid hands on them, and seemingly appointed them to the office of deacon. And with these seven men, then now able to take the ministry of the tables off the plate of the apostles, for the word of God then, verse 7, continued to increase. And that the word of God then continued to spread here, church. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. In verse 7, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith as well. And that not only was the word of God continuing to spread here, and the number of the disciples were greatly increasing in Jerusalem here, but as we also see in verse 7, for a great many of the priests, i.e. a great many of the Jewish priests who were ministering in the temple in Jerusalem and who would have seemingly opposed and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, at least at some point, church, for even they now were coming to faith in Jesus Christ here, church. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Faithfulness and devotion to Jesus Christ can lead to the unredeemed world opposing you. Faithfulness and devotion to Jesus Christ can lead to the unredeemed world opposing you. 
And thus at this time, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And if you are joining us today, but do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. However, the only thing we ask in return, if you do take and keep one of our church Bibles this morning, is that you read it, starting today by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 914, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 6 this morning, church, and we will be looking at verses 8 through 15. Where Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord, what wonderful words we sang this morning, that it is done and it is finished. For our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has borne bore the wrath that we deserve for our sins. He has cleansed us of our sins. Our sins have been imputed on to him, and his righteousness, his perfect life, has been imputed on to us. What a wonderful fact to rest in this morning, Lord. And Father, I pray that you also this morning, God, give your people rest and peace and comfort this morning in the fact that we can be a joyful people no matter what because of that. (coughs) That we can rest in the fact that what was accomplished on Calvary has completely saved us from our sins if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Thus, strengthen us in this truth, I pray, Father. 
let us persevere in Jesus Christ no matter what because of this fact. Press on in Jesus Christ no matter what because of this fact and cling to Jesus Christ no matter what may come our way in the here and now because we have been saved by Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue this morning to faithfully share your word with these dear people Lord, that it be a word that edifies them and builds them up in the faith this morning. And above all else, Father, I pray that my sermon this morning and this entire worship service, that it glorifies you, Father. Do this wonderful work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian The grace of God will be sufficient for you when you are confronted by the world. Christian, the grace of God will be sufficient for you when you are confronted by the world. Verses 8 through 10. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So as we open here in verse 8, We see that Stephen, again, who we were introduced to last week, as a man, verse 5, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and who was chosen by the whole gathering and appointed to the duty of serving tables. For here, church, Dr. Luke goes on to note in verse 8 that Stephen was also a man full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And that this same man named Stephen, for he was not only just serving tables or making the daily distribution to those who were in need, but that he was also, as we see in verse 8, doing great wonders and signs, a.k.a. miracles, church, among the people similar to that of the apostles. And although we do not know for sure what kind of great wonders and signs that Stephen was doing at this time, For it seems most likely that Stephen, similar to that of the apostles, was also healing people here as well. Nevertheless, as we go on to see in verse 9, And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. And although there is a lot of debate as to exactly how many synagogues Dr. Luke is alluding to here, church, in verse 9, whether that be one synagogue, two synagogues, three synagogues, four synagogues, or five synagogues, I think it makes the most sense to view verse 9 as only speaking about one synagogue, that being the synagogue of the freedmen. And it was called the synagogue of the freedmen simply because many of its members were Greek-speaking Jews who previously were slaves, but who had been released, or who were descendants of slaves. And it was also evidently a synagogue church, as we see in verse 9, who had Jewish members from Cyrene in North Africa, 
Alexandria in Egypt, and from the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, or from Asia Minor Church. And just as a side note here, Cilicia Church was actually where the Apostle Paul was born, as we see in Acts chapter 21, verse 39, where the Apostle Paul himself said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. And thus it seems possible then, church, that Paul could have actually attended this synagogue here, again, that being the synagogue of the freedmen. Nevertheless, as we go on to see, as the NASB puts it, some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, verse 9, rose up and disputed with Stephen or began to argue with Stephen, debate with Stephen, and question Stephen, seemingly because they didn't like what Stephen was also here, church, teaching and preaching about at this time as well. And although we do not know for sure what they disputed and debated about with Stephen here, as one commentator notes, for it seems most likely that it's centered around the death, resurrection, and messiahship of Jesus Christ, and in the inability of the Mosaic law and the temple rituals to save. Nevertheless, as we see then in verse 10, for this debate with Stephen, for it did not go well for the opponents of Stephen here, or for these Hellenistic Jews. And I say that because, as we see in verse 10, for they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he, Stephen, was speaking. Or as the Legacy Standard Bible puts it, for they were unable to oppose the wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Which shouldn't come as a surprise to us, church, since as Jesus Christ himself said to his followers in Luke chapter 21, verse 15, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Which is exactly what took place here. And thus, in light of that, for I read a story this week, church, about the evangelist D.L. Moody, who one time when he was going to have an evangelistic campaign in England, that an elderly pastor protested by saying, for why do we need this Mr. Moody? For he's uneducated and he's inexperienced. And who does he think he is anyway? For does he think that he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? to which a much younger and wiser pastor arose and responded back to this elderly pastor by saying, no, he does not. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. And Stephen was also a man who the Holy Spirit had a monopoly on as well. And thus, very practically speaking here, church, for when you then have an opportunity in your lives, say to speak the truth before others, or to shine gospel light before others, or to give a defense of your faith before others, or to bear witness to the King Jesus Christ before others. For do you then in those moments, Christian, shy away from doing so because you don't think you are smart enough, articulate enough, capable enough, or because the words that might come out of your mouth might not be clever enough, Or led by the Spirit of God, for do you just faithfully, Christian, bear witness to the truth of God as revealed in the very Word of God? 
And the reason I ask this is because in those kinds of moments, or in those kinds of situations, Christian, when you know that you should share the truth of God's Word with others, or when you know that you should give a defense of your faith before others, or when you know that you should bear witness to the King Jesus Christ before others, for how often in those moments do you begin to feel yourself get weak in the knees and nervous and fearful to the point then, Christian, that you just freeze up, seize up, close up, and say absolutely nothing at all. And thus, when those weak knees then, and those nerves then, and that mind-gripping fear then does indeed come knocking at your door, when you have a chance to share the truth as revealed in the very Word of God to others. For remember this, to summarize the thoughts of one pastor here. For Stephen was filled with confidence because he believed a particular promise made by Jesus Christ. Again, from Luke chapter 21, as previously mentioned, where we read in verses 12 through 15. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And yet Stephen is not the only one to whom this biblical text applies. As we have already seen this reality unfold in the apostles' witness. And we, too, can speak up about Christ with confidence knowing that God will be with us when we stand before the wolves. Therefore, as you seek to advance the gospel, especially when you are sharing with hostile individuals, remind yourself of Stephen's witness today and pray for God to give you the ability to speak his word with power and with clarity, knowing that the sovereign Lord is with you and for you. And thus, when that co-worker of yours then, Christian, antagonistically confronts you about why you always follow the ways of Jesus Christ, or when that person at the coffee shop, Christian, contentiously questions you about why you always talk about Jesus Christ, or when that unchurched neighbor of yours, Christian, bitterly seeks to debate you about there being many ways to the Father besides just Jesus Christ, for do not initially cower in those situations, or run from those situations, or pull back from, turn away from, or seek to get away from those situations because you don't think you have the perfect words to say in those situations, but instead, in each and every one of those situations, pray, Christian, to the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, and ask Him to give you the grace you need to speak with wisdom and conviction, gentleness and respect, also that with precision and purity, faithfulness and zeal, you can point those individuals who confront you, Christian, to the truth as revealed in your God's most holy word. And you can do so all while resting in the fact that no matter how uneducated you might be or how foolish you think you might be, for your God can and does work in and through weakness, Christian. And as for his grace... 
for that will always be sufficient for you, Christian, as well. Which brings us to point number two. Do not be surprised, Christian, when the world sees your faithfulness and seeks to bring you down. Do not be surprised, Christian, when the world sees your faithfulness and seeks to bring you down. Verses 11 through 15. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So being that the aforementioned opponents of Stephen could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he, Stephen, was speaking, for they then, as we see in verse 11, secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. Which, make no mistake about it, was a big deal here, church. That being to say, we have heard Stephen blaspheme Moses and even God. And I say that because as Exodus 22 verse 28 makes clear, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. And yet these opponents of Stephen, for they did not stop there, but instead as we go on to see in verse 12, for they then stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, a.k.a. they stirred up the common people of Jerusalem and members of the Sanhedrin and teachers of the law, and then verse 12, came upon Stephen, seized Stephen, and brought Stephen before the council or before the high Jewish court only to then set up false witnesses or lying witnesses who said in verses 13 and 14, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And as Brian Vickers notes here, for ironically, that by accusing Stephen of speaking words against the law in verse 13, for the false accusers themselves break the very law here, being that you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, Exodus 20, verse 16. Nevertheless, apparently, Stephen had been sharing Jesus' teachings, since the accusations against Stephen here were strikingly similar to those leveled against Jesus. As we saw back in Mark chapter 14, verse 58, where it reads, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And similarly, just as it was with Jesus, so too were Stephen's teachings here being misconstructed, taken out of context, 
and misunderstood. And thus, in essence here, church, we have a man in Stephen, a man who was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and who was able to do signs and wonders similar to that of the apostles here, but who also then had some people dispute with him and argue with him, evidently over what he was preaching and teaching here, and who was also eventually then confronted and seized and taken before the Sanhedrin, only to then have some false witnesses or lying witnesses twist his words all while they made charges against him. And thus, in light of that, for we are reminded here, church, once again, as Eckerd Schnebel notes, that the church may repeatedly face opposition and persecution. For Stephen's arrest and interrogation was the third incident of determined opposition against the church. And Stephen, he will lose his life, and there will be more opposition to come. And thus Christians should not be surprised then if their opponents use all means possible, from intimidation to smear campaigns to legal action to ultimately oppose them. Church, Proverbs 29, 27, it ends with this. That the one whose way is straight, it is abomination to the wicked. Or as the CSB puts it, that the one whose way is upright, for it is detestable to the wicked. Or as the New Living Translation more bluntly puts it, the wicked despise the godly. And thus, I just want to lovingly remind you all here today, church, since I know pretty much each and every week, somehow or some way, I encourage you all to seek to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ, or to follow the commands of Jesus Christ, or to be humble like Jesus Christ, serve like Jesus Christ, have the mind of Jesus Christ, or to love others like Jesus Christ. That, as another theologian put it, that the more you follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, the more you will find that you will encounter the same kind of hostility and persecution encountered by Jesus Christ. And thus, although I know that it can be hard, brother Christian, sister Christian, to be hated by your family members due to your love for Jesus Christ, and to lose all those opportunities at work due to your allegiance to Jesus Christ, and to get made fun of by your friends and your neighbors and those who you love due to your devotion to Jesus Christ. And yet, for I still want to lovingly encourage you all here today, that no matter what kind of hostility or hate, persecution or pain you may have to face for the sake of Jesus Christ, to continue, brother Christian, sister Christian, to persevere in Jesus Christ and to press on in Jesus Christ and to cling to Jesus Christ even when this world absolutely hates you, Christian, because of your love, your devotion, and your submission to Jesus Christ. Since as 2 Timothy 2.12 so profoundly puts it, for if we endure then we will also reign with Jesus Christ. But if we will deny him, then he also will deny us. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, 
for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, or with the individual who was here today, who at this time has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and to call that individual to repent of their sins and to place their faith in Jesus Christ as the only one who can forgive them of their sins and reconcile them back to God forever. To which you might be wondering at this time, then, non-Christian, for why on earth you should do that? And the answer to that question is because, non-Christian, you have been born into sin, you are dead in your sin, and if you don't repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will one day be judged and condemned forever by your holy God for your very sins. However, this same holy God, non-Christian, for he also so loved this world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save sinners, sinners like you and like me, non-Christian, from their very sins, which he, Jesus Christ, did by initially living a life here on earth that, unlike our lives, non-Christian, was free from any kind of sin. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived here on earth was a life that was holy and perfect and just and good. And thus because of that, for he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God totally and completely and without any kind of offense. And he did it, non-Christian, for the very children of God. However, merely keeping the law of God for the very children of God, for that wasn't all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, did while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because he also willingly, then non-Christian, paid the price for sin that the children of God could never ever pay by taking their sins upon himself and by willingly then being nailed to and pierced, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, as the propitiation or as the wrath-appeasing sacrifice for their very sins. And you know what, non-Christian? It worked. And that not only did this sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary satisfy the justice of our holy God, but it also appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of all that, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, since sin and death then had no power or no claim over him, for he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life.
and to the Christian who was here today. For Stephen here, again, after being confronted and seized and taken before the Sanhedrin, and then having false witnesses or lying witnesses twist and take his words out of context as they made charges against him, For Stephen then, for he doesn't jump up and condemn these false witnesses here, nor does he stand up and begin to swear at all these false witnesses here, nor even does he violently get up and try to attack or to physically fight these false witnesses here. But instead, as we see in verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Or as another translation put it, his face became as bright as an angel's. And in light of that, scholar Bruce Barton, for he shared this, that apparently as Stephen stood up before the Jewish council, that his face glowed with an undeniable supernatural glory, which is similar to what happened to Moses as a result of being with God on Sinai, And it also brings to mind the time when Jesus was transfigured in the presence of Peter and James and John. And although modern Christians today may never glow in a literal sense of emitting supernatural light, for they should emit a brightness and a warmth, and that our faces should reflect the unearthly joy and peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And thus, are you then, Christian, a walking advertisement for the glory of God? And can others look at your life, Christian, and see something different, something attractive? And what a wonderful concept for us as Christians to contemplate this morning. For what do our faces reflect to this world around us? Or what does our demeanor communicate to this world around us? Or if we were to be a walking billboard, per se, for what would our lives display to this world around us? For would it be that we are miserable because this world is against us? Or would it be that we are cheerful since if God is for us, who can be against us? Or would it be that we are fearful because there is suffering all around us? Or would it be that we are confident since we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us? Or would it be that we are doubtful about what is ultimately going to happen to us? Or would it be that we are absolutely joyful because we know that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ, that he died for us? I read a story this week, church, from the late George Campbell Morgan, a British preacher who preached during the 19th and 20th centuries and who once told a story about a factory girl who after she was saved simply radiated Christian joy. And on one day while she was waiting for a train at York Station, she slowly walked up and down the platform to pass the time. And during that time, a highly cultured and sophisticated woman sitting nearby observed her closely. And finally, so impressed by her sweet face, this woman then called to her and said, Excuse me, miss. But what makes you so happy? To which the girl replied, 
Was I looking happy? I didn't even know it showed, but I certainly am. And I'll be glad to tell you why. Only to then witness to this woman concerning the wonders of salvation and the joy that it brings to the heart, which eventually then led to this woman coming to faith in Jesus Christ as well. And thus, even when this world hates us, Christian, or even when evildoers and imposters pick on us, Christian, or even when we might have to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ, Christian, for we can still be a people of joy. Because we know, Christian, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, for we will be saved. And because we know, Christian, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And further, because we know, Christian, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, let the fact that you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, fill you then, Christian, with all joy in the here and now, no matter what situation you may have to face. And to just let that joy then, Christian, brilliantly and beautifully and brightly shine before this dark, dark world around you. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body, that we be a people here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, who when confronted by this world due to our faith in Jesus Christ, that by your grace, Father, that we seek to faithfully bear witness to your Son, Jesus Christ even though we know that by doing so, it might lead to this world hating us, persecuting us, and opposing us. And that even if we have to face the persecution of this world for your sake, Lord, or for the gospel's sake, for help us, Lord, to still be a people who radiate Christian joy, since we know that no matter what happens to us in the here and now, that you sent your Son, God, into this world to save us, to redeem us, and to deliver us from our very sins. And that if you, God, are for us, for who then can be against us? Therefore, no matter what happens to us, Lord, in the here and now, forgive us the grace we need to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to understand this morning the weight of the gift of salvation that we have been given by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And let it be a balm to our heart and our soul. Let it fill us with joy this morning. And let that joy then radiate out of every area of our lives as well. Father, we know that in this world, tribulation will come. But let us be content in the fact that we know that Jesus Christ, that he has already overcome the world. And that even though at times we might not be happy about what is taking place around us, that our joy in the Lord never goes away 
but we rest in it, and we find comfort in it. And it is a peace that surpasses all understanding and that it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus as well. Father, let us be the most joyful people that walk on the face of the earth no matter what takes place around us since we have been saved by grace. And our God, he is for us. And if our God is for us, no matter, what, no matter what may come our way, we have a right to be joyful and to rejoice in him always. Oh, again, I say rejoice. In your son's name we pray. Amen.